What's happening, friends? Welcome back to the Brew Theology Podcast. This is Ryan, and on this episode 61 of the Brew Theology Podcast, we bring back Nate Nacal from Jersey. Jersey has a Brew Theology chapter. They were the first one outside of Denver up in the Northeast. So if you are around the central Jersey area, Montclair around there, check out Brew Theology New Jersey. They're going to kind of transition to Thursday night. If you didn't hear the first episode of 60 with Nate and I, Nate talks about the Jersey chapter, his faith transitions. And so you can get to know, you know, Nate, he's the director up there. The guy is pretty amazing. So thank you, Nate, for continuing this conversation of part two with Amy and her father and Amy's coming out story. Amy, we uh, affirm you. We're in solidarity with you and hope that your ministry career is uh, truly amazing and you touch a lot of lives. So thank you for your work. Thank you for uh, you and your dad just sharing this vulnerable story. We hope that this impacts a lot of lives and helps people in this transition themselves. So if you didn't hear episode 60, go back and you'll get that full context. Nate continues this conversation with Amy and her dad. And if you like this episode, if you like any of our episodes, make sure you go to iTunes and rate it, review it. This is how we get more listeners. Share this love online. We are at brew underscore theology on Twitter, along with Facebook and Instagram at Brew Theology. Check out the website, brewtheology.org, and see how you can partner and sponsor. What's great and amazing and um, kind of just mind-blowing is that we actually get to do this thing. So thank you for your support, your contributions, and we have eight chapters now up and running. We just launched this, I think, not even a full year ago. We started doing podcasts a little over a year ago. The Denver Brew Theology community started a few years back, just a few guys hanging out at a pub. We got organized. We started doing curriculum. We had different table leaders and moderators of different interfaith, interreligious uh, walks of life. And uh, yeah, we affirm all people where they're at. Uh, And at the end of the day, love does trump hate. So thank you all in Denver for your hard work, your love, your support, your commitment. Thank you, Dan Rosado, who is our editor and also a big part of our Denver community. We uh, we would love for you to do this wherever you are in your town, city, suburb, because we believe in brewing theology and creating meaningful, healthy, and eclectic conversations in pub communities. And that's what happens is that you end up becoming uh, an amazing community and things that you never thought would happen in today's America. So uh, without further ado, here's part two, Jersey Brew Theology. Peace. That's a challenge that I think the church is facing because like it's here. There's nothing we can do about it. Actually, something that you brought up turned my attention because right now we're in we're in a moment of, of heat on the race issue um, yes. here in the country. And I think that was one of the things that that popped up in my mind um, is the fact of trying to ignore it until it until we figure out a good way of dealing with it doesn't seem like a healthy solution, which is, I think, what our country has been doing mm-hmm. over the last several decades is because even some of the conversation around it, like oh, we don't want to make a misstep and and Mm -hmm. say the wrong word. Or like, I have a friend who's, uh, I don't know what Mm -hmm. word to use. Is it black? Mm -hmm. Is it African-American? But they're not from Africa. They might be from, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, from one of the Pacific Islands. Mm -hmm. Like, what do we do? And that's something that I I think um, as a culture, the church at large, we have this opportunity to paint a different narrative and actually address it rather than simply ignoring it or pretending that it's, that it's not there, which is on one side, or the other side of like pretending that it's a normal thing. 
mm -hmm. um, when it isn't. Mm -hmm. and, and we need to have conversations in order to push it towards uh, normalcy. Yeah, I absolutely, um, I absolutely agree. Um, <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I think when we talk about the church, the, the difficulty there is that's, boy, that's a broad spectrum. And, and, it, and yeah. it is a spectrum. You have the Episcopal Church that's going to be far more accepting. They've officially accepted in a lot of in a lot of realms, um, the the idea of of gay ministers, for example, mm -hmm. but then you're if you swing the other way toward AG or uh, Southern Baptist mm -hmm. or or something on the other end of the right spectrum, um, you're going to get folks that just are not ready to accept that. Mm -hmm. So it, it's hard to just in the same way you can't lump families into just saying they're families or or gay people and just say they're all gay people. There are there are spectrums and there are differences yeah. in in how we look at things, yeah. and that's where I think as I'll say this I guess from an accounting standpoint because I'm an accountant by trade, I was looking at a project this week and it just seemed overwhelming. There were so many accounts to take care of and so many problems in each one of the accounts. I did not know where to start, and the best way to start was on the first account mm -hmm. and just start tackling what are the problems there and how can we solve those problems before yeah. we move on to the next one. And that's, I think, how we begin to win people over. Mm -hmm. Amy had one time mentioned, or, or Marie and I had come to a conclusion, I don't remember what it was, that the, the main thing I think that helps people to be more accepting of other races or other kinds of people is when they know one. When they actually make a connection, you know, if you're a Caucasian person who's lived in a Caucasian neighborhood for your entire life, the first time you meet a guy across the street who's black that you want to loan, loan your lawnmower to and he just seems like a nice guy and you can sit outside, have a beer with him, and suddenly it's like the race card starts to break down. Mm -hmm. And the same thing can happen with with gay people, with transgendered people. You get to know people and suddenly those walls start to come down and you realize that this issue is not as simple yeah. as a bumper sticker. Yeah. I 100% agree because I believe that um, relationship is really the thing that, that can break, break barriers down. Mm -hmm. That and food. <laughs> um, and just as an as an aside, the fact that the halal guys mm -hmm. has become such a big thing here is is really kind of cool, and we're breaking down that stigma through food to a degree because it's still out there, and we have a president who still has that rhetoric of, of of hatred for that community. But we need to be more intentional in those kinds of relationships, and and to be aware that that those people don't become my token black yes. friend or my token gay friend. Yes. Yes. Because it's so easy to, to say like, oh, I'm okay because I have a friend who's mm -hmm. who's gay and then still carry some of that perspective and language that we've carried before. But like, mm -hmm. I'm not bigoted because I have a black friend. I'm mm -hmm. not, you know, I, I'm not homophobic because I have a gay friend. But mm -hmm. um, some of the language that you're using, mm, like, would your gay friend be okay with that? Have you talked <laughs> to them about this? Mm -hmm. Have you had these, these conversations? Um, and maybe you have, but the person in front of you who's saying, please don't use that word, says, don't use that word. That's yeah. it. That should be the end of the conversation. But it has to be a conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're a culture that has forgotten how to converse. Yes. And we throw stuff out there on social media and then we yell at each other. The, the safety of anonymity, it's so dangerous because um, words continue to be just as powerful weapons as, as they are when we're face to face but we have a tendency to not use them as weapons when we're face to face. 
that's mm. the, the tendency. I mean, what we saw in Charlottesville, clearly um, there are exceptions to that. Mm. But um, mobs. <laughs> and mobs <Yeah>. are safe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was a certainly a challenging thing. Yeah. Um, I do want to uh, want to to ask about your movement towards ministry, and like it was really cool how during during the pub you were sharing just your your heart for the church, and it's even like pretty clear in our conversation here that you have this devotion to the church, or as your as your dad put it, you dig the church. <laughs> um, as a gay person who is looking towards ministry, do you find that you've been met with hostility? I know you're in the Episcopal mm-hmm. Church, so you're not probably met with a lot of hostility. Mm-hmm. You do come from an ev- evangelical background. So do you find hostility? How do you respond to that? I count myself as one of the more fortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't met too much face-to-face. My parents have. Parents shouldn't be met with hostility when describing the love they have for their children, but they have. For me, mine was a sadness Mm. that I felt like I I couldn't be part of the community that built my faith. So much of my faith is a little bit foreign to my many Catholic or Episcopalian friends because it's Mm -hmm. (laughs) evangelical-based, which is very different. You know, I want to close my eyes and like have my hands up when Mm. I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. That is my faith. That is how I express it. And I can't. Mm. I feel unsafe. I don't think that all churches would present that environment for me. I think I would be comfortable if I spent a lot of time in a place. Maybe I would find some place that I would be comfortable in. But that seemed to be taking too much time. Mm. I got very, I don't know, I, I wouldn't say I was impatient. I was just, I was ready to just feel safe. I was ready to be in a seat and listen to a sermon without being afraid for the moment that I would be made to feel excluded from my own community. I needed, I needed a community of faith. My faith had been personal and isolated for way too long. And I count myself lucky that my faith was strong in that isolated sense. But I needed that community and I needed to leave my home community for that. And that's sad to me. But hostility wise, I count myself fortunate. Yeah. So I'm going to turn the question to Joe Mm -hmm. (laughs) because Amy did point out that your parents were met with with a little bit more of the hostility if you care to share some of that and maybe your responses to that. Part of the reason for that is that we're in a different generation. Mm-hmm. And uh, Amy's generation is fantastic in in how how they communicate with each other. You know, when, when I was growing up, I remember one kid coming out and having a coming out party and nobody really wanted to go to it. And, you know, in, in Amy's high school, they were fine. You know, at least some of the kids were okay. Yeah, but it's it was, changed a lot. it got better, you know. So it's, they're in a different generation. So it, it is a little bit more, it is a little bit more open and the media covers it a little bit more favorably than it, than it used to. Yeah. So I'm dealing with a different generation. My friends are from a different generation. So when we when we started down this road, and we had a lot to learn ourselves, but we did, you know, learn it we did. We were surprised with people that we really thought they'll always love our family no matter what, and we found out that wasn't really true. Uh, it was a hard truth. Yeah. You know, we had uh, we had a few instances where it was it was very it was very difficult to to reconcile. Uh, we even had a, a friend uh, recently uh, who said to us, you know, and the, this is just typical Christianese kind of words, but 
used the words, you know, I, I love you guys, but I'm never going to understand this. Hmm. And we said, okay, then we're going to stop trying to help you understand it. And we just kicked the dust off our sandals. Yeah. And we moved on, yeah. you know. We, we uh, Marie, I know, ran into some hostility with, uh, with a group that she was a part of, and they had no way of knowing that we had a gay child. Uh, when they started mobbing and uh, ranting about the possibility of those gay people coming to our church and bringing their adopted kids into our church with our real kids. And these were significant people in the church. These weren't fly-by-nighters. These were significant high-up people in the church. And I remember how rattled my wife looked when she walked out of that Bible study before she even got in the car. I said, okay, looks like we're going to be looking for a new church. <laughs> yeah. Whatever happened in that room, I don't know. So we did run into that quite a bit. We started to come out as a family because mm-hmm. I'm not ashamed of my daughter at all. And yeah. uh, gradually there are pictures of her and her girlfriend, you know, and, mm-hmm. and they're just family photos and they're just part of it. That you know, we started to see that. We started to see things popping up on Facebook about the whole what was it, uh, Chick fil A and all that, <laughs> not, you know, and Hobby Lobby and all this other oh, stuff. Yeah. And you know, so that's fine, that's all news, but you see the people who are supporting it. And I just realized, you know, that they can't be part of our lives. Yeah. If, if they're if they're going to throw that stuff up, the problem is they don't realize that they're hurling darts. Yeah. And uh, this is not the kind of person that's ready to hear it from us. Mm-hmm. So we, we did run into some of that. We, did we run into it? I don't know if we ran into it directly. We didn't run into anybody who really barked at us mm-hmm. or recused us or condemned us. Um, but we definitely ran into some coldness with people, like I said, that, uh, that I would have supposed it would have been on our side forever. Mm. And then other people who really rallied to our side that also surprised me. Yeah. You know, including everybody in my family. Yeah. Including mm-hmm. my parents, you know, who have become some of the some of the biggest advocates that I could imagine. You know, um, it's it's really been it's really been fantastic. Yeah. And and uh, and having Amy in our lives has been the focal point for mm-hmm. that, you know. And and I and I know I've said it many times, she she's heard me say it many times that I went from the day that she came out to kind of wondering what that was all about and fumbling through a lot of awkward conversations where her figured out to being able to say four years later, my God, I am so proud and thankful to have a gay daughter. Yeah. And particularly this one yeah. who just breaks the mold and, uh, you know, and is, and is courageous enough to say, I want to bring who I am, who God created me to be into ministry to help other people. Yeah. So that's powerful. Yes, it is. Um, and I, <laughs> not, not, what not what I'm saying. I'm yeah. saying the idea oh, of yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, is, and is it, it totally is. And just hearing it from uh, from her dad, hearing that that kind of perspective. Mm-hmm. So, but before we go any further, um, at the pub, you talked a little bit about um, your story coming out. Mm-hmm. Could you kind of share some of that uh, with us as well? Yes. So, I kept it very quiet. It was easy, as I said, because I was very feminine and go through the motions. It's easy to do. But it became very clear when I was at the end of high school that I started to kind of need to feel this out. It was the life that I was living and it was really dishonest if I didn't and it wouldn't allow me to move forward. Actually, I came out to my sister first. My sister's here. Oh, perfect. So (laughs) Sarah, Sarah's here. She's... um, 
It's my younger sister. We were 20 months apart. Mm-hmm. Barely. <laughs> yes. Um, Sarah used to act a lot like my older sister. She's always been very protective over me, mm. even when I was super awkward and super nerdy. <laughs> and it wouldn't have especially been. Especially then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially then. But I came out to you the night that I graduated. Mm hmm. Do you remember? We were just kind of in the car mm-hmm. and we were pulling up to the house and then we got really quiet and I kind of looked over at her. And I'm like, you know, like what's going on? She goes, there's something I need to tell you. And mind you, I'm starving. So I'm kind of just talking about how I wanted to go inside and <laughs> oh, eat. And I said to Amy, I'm like, can we like, come on, like, I, w- I want to go inside. I want to go inside. And she's like, but, but, and I'm like, just say it, just say it. And she's like, I'm gay. And I'm like, okay, can we just go inside now? <laughs> and that was literally it. Like, it was no conversation. It was just that I was hungry. I want to go inside. And I was like, this is it. Like, it's not, I didn't care. Like, it was just, she's, you know, she's still my sister. So. Was it a while before, like, so after you told your sister, mm-hmm. um, was it a, a while before you told anyone else? It was almost like an entire year. No, because that was that was when I graduated high school, and then we went to Disney. Like, then, then, yeah. but it was it was Cindy and Maureen's wedding that you told yes. mom and dad. So that, that was, was October. That was October. So it was a couple months then. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, but. you so you smirked a little bit when she mentioned Disney. <laughs> um, <laughs> did something happen? Um, <laughs> so Sarah never told a single soul, right? No. You didn't tell anyone. No, and normally, I mean, I don't want to say I'm a big mouth, but like. When when I'm excited, things just happen to come out. But this was different. You know, you don't just go around and say things like that. But, but anyway. <laughs> but in Disney World, we're in some gift shop and we were all together. So it was me, my sister, my mom and my dad. And I know you were standing at least next to mom. I yeah, don't remember if she dad was, was there. She was paying for something and yeah. you were kind of right behind me. Yeah. Because I had to turn around. <laughs> But yeah, so there was this box full of keychains, mm-hmm. I think, and the keychains had foam Mickey heads on them. Okay. And, you know, Disney's super affirming. Mm-hmm. They're probably because it makes them money, but like, you know what, whatever. <laughs> I'll take it. Anyway, so um, some of the Mickey heads had rainbows on them, like it was a rainbow mm-hmm. stripe. And Sarah, Sarah <laughs> just picks one up right next to my parents, like if they had turned around. Full view. Oh, no. And is yeah. waving this rainbow Mickey head I'm at like, me. like, Amy, Amy. <laughs> and I started sweating. I'm like, Sarah, stop it. Stop. And you're like, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Just puts it back. Like, I think mom actually asked you, like, oh, did you want something else? Yeah, she goes, did like, you want something like that? And I'm like, I'm oh. good. Like, <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> like, I need to get out of here. <laughs> I believe I might have gotten a little punch on the end, like yeah. as you were leaving. Yeah. Oh yeah. Nice. Yes. So, but. so there was a there was a few months between uh, you coming out to your sister mm-hmm. and then telling your parents. Mm-hmm. Um, was there anybody else in between, or? Yeah. Okay. So I chose to tell pretty much total strangers okay. before my parents. <laughs> so I met people in college. Mm-hmm. I trusted them completely. Mm-hmm. Um, I met them on the second day or the first day of college, and I trusted them totally and completely. 
I mean, we're still friends. We're, we're still really, really, really close. And so I told them a few weeks in because I, I wanted to not have the same problems that I did in high school. I wanted to have those intimate relationships. And I knew from my time in high school, I needed to have those conversations. I needed to let people know who I am. Like, that's what you do when you have friends. <laughs> I needed to kind of learn that. So I told them and it was it wasn't as, okay, I want to eat as, as Sarah was. It wasn't as um, <laughs> quick and clean cut, but it was it was wonderful. I told them and one of them was very surprised. Um, she was like, oh, oh, okay. I think I was the first gay person she had actually met, if I'm remembering correctly. But the other two that I told, we were just, we were having breakfast and I told them, I was just kind of like, I think we were talking about future weddings and we were joking about it. And they kept kind of saying, well, when Amy marries her husband and I had to kind of be like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I told them, I was like, uh, actually, guys, I'm, I'm gay. And they're like, oh. And one of my best friends, she, she just turned and she was like, okay, we love you. She felt a little bit like unsure about what to do in those moments. And we've since had a lot of conversations about it because she's still kind of unsure mm. about how to actually talk about these things. Mm. But I keep telling her, I was like, that was the best. Mm. Like just immediately, yeah. okay, and we love you. And not in a, all right, and what else? Yeah. Kind of forget about it way, but in a, okay, we know this about you and we love you. Mm. And that was really meaningful. So mm -hmm. those are the next people. And people along the way, it just became something that it was just part of my life. And, and then, of course, your parents, yes. which to, I think to anyone is probably the most challenging conversation. Thanks for stopping by, Sarah. Oh, yes. Of course, of course, of course. Sarah's much more fun than I am. <laughs> I don't... Uh... <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, so then your, your parents, which... Like I mentioned, I think that's always the most challenging. Anytime yes. I have something big, I need to tell my parents. I always test it out on other yes. people first. Um, yeah. Coming out is difficult in general um, because you can't act really the same. Mm. I knew with Sarah, Sarah's goofy and like yeah. Sarah would just kind <laughs> of take it as it is. But for parents, what I've come to kind of understand about coming, the difficulties of coming out to parents, at mm -hmm. least for me, I think it's that I had to have a lot of conversations with myself. Mm. I had to have a lot of conversations about this is how I feel and this is how I know how I feel. And these are the people that I like or that I don't like. When I came out to my parents, I found myself frustrated that I needed to have those conversations again mm. because you can't help it like parents have an idea of their child they have an idea of the life that they want for their child they right. can't help that i get it completely um it's just it's hard when the child needs to say that isn't the life for yeah. me at yeah. all um and i need you to chuck that away and i already went through the phases of mourning for that life mm -hmm. i already went through the oh, I'm going to have to tell them one day that mm. I don't want a husband and I'm not going to marry a man after mm. that. Like, I can't go through the motions like I had been doing. I can't do that once I come out because I've already come out and that would take a whole <laughs> other conversation <laughs> right. and people have done it. But 
for me, it was kind of a, I need to act different and I need to pursue these things that I'm telling them I'm going to pursue and it's going to be difficult. In terms of things that I was thinking of when I was about to, I'm really close with my dad now. We have Mm -hmm. a super relationship now, better than than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. But I've always, always been close with my mom. Mm -hmm. We're very similar. And I think she knew a lot of the things that were going on even intuitively. So we had a few conversations that she made it very clear. Like things would come on TV and it would be, you know, the very few gay representation that were on TV at the time. It's gotten so much better. Mm. We're still pretty far, but it's gotten so much better. And it would be these issues that would come up. And she made a point a lot of the time. And I knew she wasn't having these conversations with Sarah. But um, she would turn to me and say, you know, it it would be okay if you came to me and said, that you were gay or that you that you liked women like it would be okay mm. these if if it's okay dad yeah um yeah. the only time one of those conversations was interrupted was my mom said it would be you know amy it would be okay if you were gay you know that old rhyme but she said it mm. very nicely and my dad actually from the other room said but don't be gay it was admittedly ringing in my ears mm. for years after. It was a really big moment. So it was still ringing in my ears when I was really kind of coming to terms with, okay, I've told my sister, I have told my friends, everyone around me that I talk to on a daily basis knows, except for my parents. Yeah. They came up to visit me because I had lapsed in communication i mean i'm bad at communication anyway but this was very noticeable so they came to visit me for lunch and it was super awkward and it had never been awkward Mm. between all of us Mm. um even with that one interruption i mean that was the one there was always very healthy relationships you were you were trying all day Mm. yeah i can i can think of at least offhand i can think of at least three times that you tried to open the conversation and you just kind of stopped it dead. I'm like, I'm shaking yeah. now thinking <laughs> yeah, about no, it. I, I, re- yeah. I remember it specifically, and that's why it didn't come, it ultimately it didn't come as a as a complete shock later on in the day because I knew you were trying to share something with me because you just, mm-hmm. the, the things that you were sharing or excited about or awkward about, I said, boy, there's something heavy on her mind right now, and she mm-hmm. just doesn't want to talk about it. So, um, so I, I knew all day there was something going on. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I mean, it was... When you don't know, yeah. and it's just like a thing, yeah. like you don't know how to say, what's this thing that's bothering you? Because then yeah. I would say, there's nothing. Right, <laughs> I'm stressed about school. <laughs> um, very easy. But I, two weeks prior, I had written a letter to my mom mm. coming out and telling her everything. Um, I was in a relationship at that point um, with another girl, and I just knew this was a big part of me, and it felt very, very big. Mm. Um and I knew that I needed, I knew that I needed to do it. Mm. Um, I, but I let it sit. I let it sit for two weeks. And my parents left that day that I was talking about. And I went up to, gosh, I'm, I really am just shaking. Um, I went up to my dorm room and I sent the email to my mom. And then I just waited. And I knew that I needed to wait for a while. They had the drive home. Um, It was a pretty busy day. I didn't know when she would check her email. She didn't have a smartphone, so it wasn't like she was reading it in the car. Um, But 
I waited and then she called me. So I knew that she had gotten it and <laughs> I didn't answer it. I just I just left it. I just stared at it for a while. I'm like, I'm just going to let this go to voicemail. I'm going to act like I'm cool and like out with friends or something. Like, I don't care. Um, so I listened to the voicemail mail, and my mom said very calmly, she was like, Amy, I read the letter. It's okay. Just call me. I am here. Mm. So I did. And we, I mean, so it was a really weird conversation because it was something that I had worked up so much in my mind and I knew that it would happen one day and it was suddenly happening and I was having this conversation with my mom and saying these things that I, I wanted to be with girls and actually I was with one and it was a good relationship. Um, hearing her say the name of this person that I was convinced I would need to keep secret for so long and suddenly my mom was saying her name it was it was very emotional we both cried we were both crying on the phone um and she was saying how much she loved me and how much everything was going to be fine and then she asked at the end when can I tell dad that's what you do you're married you tell everybody everything it's good it's a good marriage I knew she was going to ask and I said not yet like let me let me keep it for a little bit and she said okay but I'm gonna need to tell him and I said I know I know but just a little bit and I appreciated that question so much because it's control it's allowing your life to change in a very controlled and easier way I let her tell my dad as Sarah was saying the day of Cindy and Maureen's wedding and Cindy and Maureen are our family friends who they they were actually one of the couples that won marriage equality for New Jersey. Oh, wow. um, they were one of the couples that sued. So we've known them forever. Um, this was their legal wedding. Like, wow. it was very exciting. And I knew, I mean, if my dad was going to lesbian's wedding, <laughs> he couldn't really say a whole lot I was, I was, in case. I was wearing a button that said honorary lesbian Yes, all you night. still have yeah, it up there. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the most fun weddings I've ever been to. <laughs> but I figured, you know, I, I was safe that way. I knew from my mom's conversation, my mom would not have tolerated anything but the love that she was giving me. I also knew my dad. And I knew even when his words had hurt, I knew my dad. And I knew my dad loved me so much. I honestly, I was not, I was not scared. I think I was more scared when I was waiting for my mom to read the letter because that was, I mean, that was the first yeah. domino, right? Like yeah. I needed to do that. But when she was telling my dad, I, I remember, I mean, I was studying, like I was doing chemistry problems in the, in the lounge and I was focusing. So I wasn't really worried. I was kind of annoyed when you called because I needed to stop doing chemistry problems. <laughs> I'm a nerd. I can't help it, but you called yeah. and you can, yeah, it it was um, when when Marie told me uh, during the wedding, you know, we're we're there, we're celebrating it, we're we're cool with it and everything, and and the way that she brought it up, she said, well, you know, we kind of have to, in a way, put our money where our mouth is because Amy sent me a letter today and she told me she's gay, and I was stunned, and I then immediately started to replay the whole day and said, well, that makes sense. She was trying to tell us something all day long. I should have known. I'll say this, you know, in just in reflection, and it's not to defend anything that I've said or anything like that, but, you know, I didn't know. 
And, and I say that not to defend myself, but to try to help other people that might be in the same position. You don't know who's in the room. And Marie ran into that with the Bible study group that, that was saying all these things. They didn't know about Marie's situation or anybody else's situation in that room, who they were related to and who they love and, and what they might be struggling with. And you don't know who's in the room. Right down to your own daughter, you don't know what you're dealing with. So sometimes you can just say really stupid things. Mm. They sound funny, but they're darts, and and uh, and they can be painful. So I didn't know what I was saying, and a lot of that was flooding over me. Like, my God, I'm really insensitive. Yeah. The stuff that I've probably said along the way, even just lighthearted, was hurtful, you know, and I don't. I didn't know. Um, so I called her and, and we, you know, I, I had a cry and she, you know, I think she was, she was at peace with it at that point. Marie and I struggled to say that Marie was cool with it or that I was cool with it. I'd love to be able to say that we're one of those parents that just would be like Sarah and say, oh, no big deal. It was a big deal. Um, because like Amy was saying, it, it changes the way it changed a lot of the way we were looking at things. It, it changed, um, what our expectations would be for her in, in her life, in marriage, you know, you have, you have the picture of the bride walking down the aisle, you have, uh, you know, it's, you know, kids, all that. And you start thinking about all those things. And it's not to say that those things are limited, but they start to change. We both struggled a lot during the next few months. And a lot of that was because Amy wasn't there, I think, present to work through it. Nor did she really understand. Like to her, she just came out, this is freedom. Like finally, I'm done. I've, I've hit the finish line. Um, I'm out and this is such a relief and now I can be who I want to be. Now Marie and I are saying, well, now what we thought we were, we're not because now we're the parents of a gay kid. And what does that mean for us? And you go through all the stupid questions. Fortunately, we had Cindy and Maureen. And we told them that night, hey, Amy came out, and they were just as shocked as we were. And they said, we're going to take you out to dinner. A few weeks later, we went out to dinner with them, and uh, we had a few beers. And Cindy was great, and she just said, you ask all the stupid questions you want to, no matter how offensive you might think they are, how stupid they, you might think they are, how stereotypical. You ask any question you want, and we'll work through it together. And we're great about that. You know, They were able to work through things like, do I blame myself? Did I do something wrong? Did I do something that made her gay? I, you know, it's all those silly questions. Yeah. To kind of interject real quick, it's, it's so easy for us to get kind of caught up in the, I, I, I want to avoid saying yeah. this, that, or the other thing that's offensive. But, you know, I kind of wonder, like as somebody who's not gay, trying to approach those conversations, if I have those questions, because I'm the kind of guy that reads a lot. And so I learn a lot through that avenue. But to somebody who needs to ask questions, yeah. I think it, it's it's fantastic when you have people right. in your family who are willing to say, ask us the dumb yeah. questions. And we're and something else we learned that night is parents are weird. And and that's where <laughs> and, and that's where I think Amy had the hardest time is she could tell why like she said perfect strangers, people that she had known for a handful of days uh, that she was gay versus her parents that she had known her whole life and had proven time and time again that she loved it. We're weird people, you know, and there's just things that you don't tell your parents that you tell other people. Yeah. So we, we struggled for a little while. I remember Marie and I alternating days. I'd be okay one day, and she'd be like, I want my life back. And, 
And uh, in other days, she'd be okay, and I just wanted to drink myself into oblivion. And so we struggled a lot. But then the first day, I remember I brought you home. I went over to visit, and I and I brought you home, and we were crossing the bridge. And I had been praying on the way over, just saying, and I remember it very specifically. I said, you know, God, just help me to, what do I say to her? Help me to know what, what to say to her. And I remember one of those few times that I felt like I heard God's voice, loud as could be, saying, you don't say a word. You just need to listen. Because, I mean, if I can interject, if I had been home and I had seen those terrible days, I would grow so just, I would grow so much resentment towards you. There was was a timing. We we understand that. Right, right, right. And I understand that completely. And it's like, but I can only see that in hindsight. When Mm -hmm. I was coming out, like that is such a vulnerable time. But what what, I think what you got to understand, and and I think what all, what what gay kids got to understand is that it is... It is a team effort. Yeah. And there's a lot going on yeah. here. There's for us, it's did we do something wrong? Mm-hmm. Did we teach her the wrong thing? Is this a choice? Is this something like now she's in college and suddenly she's this person? Is there something that happened along the way there that we weren't paying attention to? While she was spending all of her time on, you know, the computer while she was sitting in that chair, what kind of storm mm-hmm. was going on here? Who has influenced her life? And how does this affect, and this became a big part of it, how does this affect our Christian fellowship now? Mm -hmm. We know some people aren't going to accept us, and we were right. So there was a lot going on there uh, for us. And I think that's the challenge, too, of of that particular generation, as, like, you know, our our generation is is coming out, not to... Yeah. To mention your age, no, <laughs> I'm not no, gonna mention your age. But, no, it's a, uh, but I'm, like, I'm fifty. Yeah. yeah. So, so to 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 your generation, it's it's much more of a challenge, I think, because for me, yes. you know, when I get to the stage when I'm having kids, that's just gonna be something that I think about. Okay, at some point, I'm, you know, my kid is gonna try to figure out and assert his or her sexual identity. Mm-hmm. But for your generation, that's not something you even think about. No. Yeah. And no. but like I said, like even even as you said, like it's something that you gotta understand. I couldn't understand that. Yeah. Yep. I and I I don't think that's the responsibility of a queer child. Mm-hmm. I don't. I yep. don't think that's the responsibility of a queer child to answer all of those questions. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a responsibility of a queer child to take care of all of mm-hmm. these lasting prejudices and stereotypes right. that their parents have. Mm-hmm. I think that would be putting themselves in harm's way. And that's yeah. a, that's a, um, yeah, exactly, putting yourself in harm's way and and the it's burden. frustrating. Yeah. It's to, frustrating right. and I can see that in hindsight, but, but it helped can, me. Yeah. To be away from that, you you, yeah. you can you can exhibit patience with it, and I think that's it. Because your your mother and I didn't expect you to come up with every answer to make us feel better. We took our time then and said, let's let's read, let's research, let's spend some time with Cindy Maureen, let's find a church that's more affirming. Let's you know, and we started taking those steps to say, you know, first and foremost, number one on the list. Let's love our daughter. And then that's the easy part. And then from there, how do we figure all this out? And we did. We didn't expect her to come up with all the answers. But I know it helped when we could talk about it Mm -hmm. for me to understand and say, okay, this really is just who she is. Because the worst thing mm-hmm. would have been, well, yeah, I'm I'm gay because Dad just said this one time when I was eight, <laughs> and you know I'm forever <laughs> scarred by this, <laughs> you know, um, you know. But I know she wasn't abused, and I know she wasn't, you know, she wasn't harmed in any way. It's just who she is. It's who God created her to be. And I'm, you know, as we struggled through all those things, what really helped again, we mentioned earlier, having a person touch base with it, having Amy 
who she is, and then meeting her girlfriend. Mm. And that really brought it full circle. We said, this really can be the new normal, and this is really kind of a pretty mm-hmm. cool new normal. Mm. And we were fine from yeah. that point on. And and like I said, but to but it was credit, a, I didn't know you were struggling. And I think that's pieces of advice that are important. Mm. I didn't know we didn't that you wanna, were. We didn't want to put that right. on you. And that's what I'm saying. Like, as... As advice, if anyone yeah. is really struggling with it as a parent, mm-hmm. as a, as another guardian, as a sibling, as whatever, mm-hmm. take time for yourself. Yeah. Don't put it on them. Yeah. Don't yeah. don't yeah. come yeah. to the queer person in your life and say, I am struggling yeah. with you. Yeah. Because that not, is the yeah. surefire way for them to run the other way yeah. and say, right. well, I have a bunch of other people right. that are totally fine with yeah. me, because actually. It's not my fault for being who I am. Yeah, yeah. and that's me coming yeah. out was telling right. you I'm okay with yeah. me now. Yeah. And Amy was cool. So I, on the way home, rather than try to say what I thought was on my mind, <laughs> I said we had a little awkward silence on the way home. <laughs> but on the bridge, I said, okay, Amy, we got a long way to ride home. You're going to have to bear with me this weekend. I'm going to have some really stupid questions to ask yeah. you. Are you okay with answering some questions yeah. to help me to understand and to just help me to be the best dad I can yeah. be? And she said, of course. And we had a very nice mm-hmm. time. We stopped, I think, for dinner that yeah. night before we went home. And we just, we really did have a good heart to heart. And we did that quite a few times mm-hmm. over the weekend. Yeah. You know, in in just, she's known this for a much longer time than I have. And she helped us to wrap our brains around it, too. It was, it was a learning experience for us. And a fantastic one. Mm-hmm. If, and that would be my biggest advice to parents of gay kids is... They're still your kids. They're just as fantastic as they were yesterday, the day before they told you this new fact about them. They haven't changed. It's just now you know something different about them. And it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Do the research. Talk to some healthy people. Talk to them. But when you talk to them more than anything else when you talk to them, let them know that you love them. Then the dialogue can happen in a fantastic and healthy way. And Mm -hmm. I think that's really what ended up going down. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you say? I would say. Okay. Awesome. We're good. We actually kind of like each other now. We do. We do. We talk about lots. Cool. Yeah. Um, it, it, it reminds me a little bit of uh, something that Richard Rohr had had uh, had talked about and written about. This idea of these circles. So kind of painting the picture, the the kind of leaders within the evangelical church being, for, for example, the inside of that circle and those who rally to their cause, those who are who fit the mold. And then you have on the on the far outside of the circle, you have this this circle of, of the fringe who are not loved by the church, whether for whether for their skin color or whether for their uh, sexual identity or sexual preference or whatever it could be, even their own religion, like we're seeing. And so you have these two circles, and then you have in between them those who were were or are a part of that circle internally but who either have a heart for those outside or have some kind of connection to those outside. The thing about it is you can find identifying points between both those outside and those inside the circle. So you can speak to them. And I think like you, Amy, and all of us here can have that, but it's, it's also the most dangerous place to be because, you know, we, we, we have these convictions and we have these strongly held beliefs that inside the circle they just do not understand and refuse to and they're hurling darts at us and then outside the circle 
they don't understand why we maintain connections to those inside the circle anyway, because that's a hateful group and so on and so forth. And I think we have the ability to present a message to those both inside and outside. And so I kind of want to uh, want to ask, have you have you thought about what you might say to either of those groups as sort of like an all-encompassing message um, <laughs> or what would be like a theme of something that you would that you would say whether like maybe sermon to either group. I don't know cuz I I know Right now? <laughs> yeah, right now. Like you want you want to preach? I'm ready. I'm ready to hear a sermon cuz I haven't heard I haven't yet heard one of your sermons. So. Uh, <laughs> oh gosh. Well, I talked about this at the pub, mm-hmm. and I've worked in interfaith for two years now, and it's a huge part of my faith. And the thing that we say when we're deciding on what to do and bringing all of these faiths together, and some of these faiths have contradictions in their scripture and among factions of these faiths, and you need to work not past it, but you need to work within it. We look for the values that are deeply held and widely shared. And so those kind of fringe interests, we can't get to because those aren't going to be shared, even if they are really deeply held. We, we can't focus on those. But we can say, okay, each of these scriptures have a huge focus on working with the poor. So let's work together. Like, let, let us work with the poor. Let us go into these communities. Let us do this. That's the kind of message that we need to start working on. We need to see why we're both in those circles anyway. Like, why are we grouped together? We need to look at those core messages, not disregard things that don't make sense. Those are still deeply held, but we need to start looking for ways that we can work through these things. Mm. So as for specifics, telling people, gosh, oh God. <laughs> That'll be your, uh, your next sermon assignment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I I always go back to, I mean, for the inner circle, what more can I do? I talked about how I, I was the kid with the most stickers in Sunday school. Yeah. I knew my stuff. Mm-hmm. I still kind of know my stuff. Mm-hmm. Not all of it, but I know it. Yeah. For the outer circle, I'm, I mean, I'm a part of them. That is who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm a gay person. I, I am with them. And so occupying these two kinds of spaces, being the person that, I mean, the facts still remain. I still know the Bible verses. Mm-hmm. I can still talk with conservative Christians in the way that conservative Christians talk. Mm-hmm. But I I mean, I can't disregard that I, I'm a woman who loves other women. Mm-hmm. Owning that identity and speaking about it, for me, that's the best thing that I can do. Yeah. So I can sit here and I can tell you my story and I can pretend it's nothing else except my story. Mm. And I am a gay person who wants to live her life in the church. I never wanted to spend a Sunday out of it. Um, Even when it was really hard to get myself to go, even when I was terrified of going to the Mm. point of tears because I didn't want another message that made me feel like I was unwelcome in a place that I know that I should be. So owning that and telling those stories are so important to me. And that's why both of the sermons that I did were my story, Mm -hmm. because I I can't do anything else. Mm -hmm. I can't sit here and really know not a whole lot about who you are. And I can't sit here and tell you what to do to be faithful. That isn't what I'm meant to do. What what I feel that I'm meant to do is do this Mm. and tell you who I am and live the world through that. And that's 
that's what I would do. Well, thank you so much for sharing both at the pub and mm-hmm. recording this with us. It has been an absolute pleasure. And uh, when you come back to New Jersey, yes. definitely, definitely make it out to the pub at least a few times because yes. <laughs> we've got some great, some great conversations happening there. Well, thank you both for uh, for coming together today and um, to um, what was it again? Uh, deeply held, deeply held, widely, widely shared. shared. Awesome. Yes. Cheers. 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 <laughs>